<clears throat> Wonderful. Well, good morning, everybody. Great to see you. Happy Valentine's Day. Uh, hope you're enjoying your weekend. Uh, it's a big weekend, Valentine's weekend, for my wife and I. I always take it as somewhere really classy. And uh, we go to this place where uh, when you go in, actually, they give you they have people serving free appetizers on trays. It's kind of cool. Sam's Club is always a winner, as far as I am. <laughs> Last weekend, uh, Pastor Rob uh, spoke very powerfully about dinner with Jesus. How many of you were here last weekend? That's good. How many of you are here this weekend? I was not here last weekend. I was in England. I watched it on the internet and I thought, you know, dinner with Jesus. Uh, Why don't I speak this weekend on uh, breakfast with Jesus? And that's what I'm going to do. This is not a series. Next weekend is not going to be healthy snacks with Jesus. We're not, <coughs> we're not doing that thing. But uh, have a look with me at John 21, please. John 21, as uh, Jesus invites some friends for breakfast. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. And he said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, said to Peter, it is the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he'd taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. And when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153 But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. And when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. And the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? And when Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, If I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. 
Uh, being back in England last week, I am increasingly discovering that there are quite a lot of Brits, quite a lot of English people particularly, who are, who are watching our services on the internet. So I'm a little nervous. I need to be kind of careful about what I'm about to say. It's just between me and you, if that's okay. Uh, I, I love England, but I've just got to confess to you that I don't think our service in England is quite as good as uh, it is in America. And last week I was on a book tour and I was staying in this hotel. I won't, I won't say the city that I was in, um, in case there are people from Birmingham watching us uh, today. But I was in this hotel, and uh, at 5.45 in the morning, a party started in the room uh, next to me. Uh, some guys had been out on the town uh, all night, and how do I describe it? They came back happy, if you get my drift. They were very happy and very loud and a lot of music and, and it didn't bother me. You'll understand that. It's 5.45. I, I've been up for two hours reading Leviticus and so um, <laughs> and I was kind of worried that the sound of my tambourine playing might disturb them. But I, I was worried about families there, you know, people with kids, 5.45 in the morning. So I called the front desk. I said, there's a party going on next door. And the man on the front desk, his response was not helpful. He said, it's the first time you've called to mention it. So I'm thinking, well, that's because it's only just happened. Complaining in advance is a challenge, you know what I'm saying? And then, I couldn't believe it, he said, are you sure the noise is not coming from your room? <laughs> yeah, right. It's 5.45, I'm having a one-man party, and then I'm so sad, I'm calling you to complain about myself. Right. It was a surprising breakfast event. For all kinds of very, very different reasons, John 21 describes a surprising breakfast event. It happened in Galilee. The disciples had met the resurrected Jesus in Jerusalem but now they are 68 miles from Jerusalem, back on home territory, and suddenly Jesus is here. It happened at an unusual time. They'd been out all night fishing, very regular in Galilee. You'd fish at night, sell the catch in the morning. They're exhausted. They didn't catch anything. Sometimes we don't expect to meet God when we feel low, when we feel emotionally spent, and yet here in this moment they do. And it's all very ordinary. If I had choreographed the resurrection, it would have been flashier. I'd have had Air Force jets going across the beach with He is Risen, Hooray, being written in red and blue smoke. I'd have had 64,000 angels tap dancing on the beach. I would have had the New York Philharmonic playing the Hallelujah Chorus prophetically because it hadn't been written at that point. I would have, I'd have had a big fuss. But he says, come and have breakfast. And it's a turning point for them. And who knows? I don't know. Somehow as we perhaps breakfast with Jesus today, this could be a turning point for some of us too. What can we learn? What can we learn from this story? If you're following along in the bulletin, first of all, this was a breakfast that was about establishing priorities. Establishing our priorities. Are we into survival? or living, establishing our priorities, survival or living. Look at verse 6 again. He said, Jesus said, 
Throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. How many people are here today who, who like to fish? How many fishing people have we got? Raise your hands. That's, I'm happy for you. God bless your heart. That's, that, no, that's great. I'm, anyone here that go, actually goes ice fishing? Any ice fishing people? Yeah, all right. Well, I don't know what to say to you. <laughs> I mean, I'm thrilled, and I'm certainly not mocking your hobby, but I, I drive by people when they're ice fishing. They've got a drill bigger than them. And they are out there in the freezing weather in a tent. And I am thinking, go to Safeway and get the tilapia, honey. <laughs> John seems really obsessed with fish in this story. You notice how much he talks about it as he records this episode. I'm going fishing, says Peter. They go fishing. We get a fishing report. They don't catch anything. Jesus shows up. He says, how's the fishing going? They tell him. He gives them fishing directions. They get a big catch, 153. It's all about fish. They go up onto the beach. It's time for breakfast. What's on the menu? Fish. It's all about fish. And then, over breakfast, Jesus turns to Peter and he says to Peter, do you love me more than these? Now, the standard commentator response to this is that Jesus was saying, do you love me more than these other disciples love me? But I'm not sure, and the Greek is not emphatic. In fact, Peter had done the comparison game before, and it had gone disastrously wrong. I'll never deny you, even if everybody else does. So why would Jesus nudge him to make another affirmation like that? I'm not sure. It's a question, not a statement. Don't hang me for heresy. But is it possible that Jesus was saying to fisherman Peter, do you love me more than fishing? Because fishing represented Peter's everyday existence, security, predictability. Peter the fisherman wouldn't have to worry about martyrdom. Peter the fisherman wouldn't have to sing hymns at midnight in a prison cell or have two angelic breakouts, one from death row. Peter the fisherman wouldn't have to worry about doctrinal issues in the church or congregational fights. Peter the fisherman, all he had to do was fish. Get up, do your job, eat fish, go to bed, get up. You know, if I can be ever so honest, there are moments, they're normally just brief, when I kind of feel like that would be a fun way to live. Just, you know, not worry about... Uh, what I ought to be, and I don't want a purpose-driven life at that moment. I don't want to be purposeful. I don't want to be driven. I just want to live. I don't want to worry about the guy next door going to heaven or hell or feeding the world or stopping human trafficking. I just want to fish. There are moments when we can be tempted, not by great sin, but just the ordinary. But it doesn't satisfy Something interesting happens. 153 fish are caught. I want to know, who's the sad person who's counting fish when Jesus is cooking breakfast? 34, 35. You know, the commentators go crazy with this stuff. It just, it just is incredible. 153 fish. One commentator says, there were 153 fish because this was the number of languages spoken in the world at that time. Uh, there were 153 because of the number of races or tribes in the world. There were 153 because this was the number of different kinds of fish in the Sea of Galilee. 
or in the world. There are 153 because this was a triangular number that would have impressed ancient Pythagorean philosophers. <laughs> Hello. Listen, it's simple. Has anyone ever met a fisherman coming home? Fishing people like to record the catch. Of course someone wrote it down. 153. But is it possible that those tempted by survival got the biggest catch of their lives so that they'd realize that the biggest catch of your life is not enough? Because, sir, ma'am, you can spend all of your life doing good at survival, but it won't be enough. There will be a hollowness, even if the nets are full, and you'll go at 153. It won't be enough. Because you were designed to live your life with God. And you're sitting there right now, you're saying, hey, I'm not, I'm not into this spiritual stuff. It's too late. You've been born. You're breathing. You were created spiritual. You were made to know God. And anything less won't work right. It might be that today breakfast with Jesus means you turning your life over to Christ and starting to really live. It might be that today some of us have been tempted by just survival and that's the way life is rolling out right now. And once again we want to say, I want to live. I want to live and establish my priorities again. Secondly, secondly, this breakfast was about answering our, our biggest question. Are we loved? Answering our biggest question, are we loved? Look at verse 7. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. Here's a question. There's no prizes. Who, who, who was the guy, who was the disciple that Jesus loved? John, that's right. That's what most people believe, and it's probably right. Who wrote these words? John. Does anybody see a problem here? Every time the guy talks about himself, the disciple whom Jesus loved, did he have a badge? He loves me more. Ha! I used to think this was kind of pretentious. In fact, repeatedly in John's Gospel, he refers to himself that way. He never names himself. In 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John that he also wrote, he never names himself. 2nd and 3rd John, he introduces himself simply as the elder. Why doesn't John name himself? What is all of this stuff? The disciple whom Jesus loved. I mean, you'd think Peter was just ready to slap that guy. I wonder, turn it around, is it possible that for John... The knowledge of Jesus' love was more important than his own name. Because the searching question for all of us, and we're confronted by it by Hallmark today, is, am I loved? We all want to know that, the answer to that question. Tom Arnold, the comedian, he wrote a book called How I Lost Six Pounds in Five Years. <laughs> And he said this, he said, most people in show business are broken people looking for affirmation. It's not my view, it's his view. And they said, why did you write the book? He said, I wanted people to tell me that they liked me. 
Because that's the question in all of us. Am I liked? Am I, am I loved? And I think we can struggle in our relationship with God because, you see, in that love relationship, it's one relationship where nothing's hidden. I mean, every other relationship, the other person doesn't know everything there is to know about us. Have you ever thought, if my friends knew every thought I have, they'd probably run a mile. And yet God knows everything but still loves us. Not only that, but there's no fault in God. Often in relationships, we're able to say, well, no one's perfect, but he is. So he knows everything about our faults, and he is perfect. And by the way, it's also slightly difficult because he's invisible. But we are loved. I'm conscious that Valentine's Day might be difficult for some of us. I'm conscious of that as a pastor. Some of us are celebrating this day. For others, we've walked the pathway of divorce or the death of our partner or we're not in a relationship, never have been. And everybody else is happy about the day. And I'm conscious for some of us, it might be a day that has tinges of pain. You know, I was a bit surprised because in England, you only send a Valentine's card to the one person, your husband or wife or the person that you're in a relationship with. And it's not like that here, is it? And I didn't know that. And I got 25 Valentine's cards. And I'm thinking, I didn't know they cared. You know, that, this is odd. Actually, it's very nice. And here's a Valentine's card for you. Whether you know it or not, you are greatly loved. And God sees all the stuff you regret. And he loves you. He answers the big question. The disciple whom Jesus loved. You are loved. Thirdly, thirdly, this is a story about resolving our regrets. There is silence and then there are questions at the far side. Resolving our regrets, silence and then questions at the far side. Verse 9, look at it with me. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. It's very clear that this was not the first meeting between Peter and the risen Jesus. There'd already been a meeting. Uh, Luke 24, 1 Corinthians 15 describes an, a previous encounter between Peter and the risen Christ. But Peter, remember, had denied Jesus. And I think Peter was one of those guys. Have you ever met people like this? They're really good at doing stuff for others, but they feel uncomfortable when people do stuff for them. So Jesus tries to wash his feet. And Peter says, you'll never wash my feet. And Jesus says, if I don't wash your feet, then I can have no, you can have no part with me. Because the basis of this deal, people, is that we allow Jesus to clean us up. And I think that Peter was struggling with being forgiven. And so this whole breakfast is a very powerful journey of forgiveness. First of all, the breakfast starts with an admission of failure. Jesus says... You haven't got any fish, have you? What do the disciples say? Well, you know, there were 420 that got away. One of the most powerful moments in the New Testament, they said, no. We admit it. Failure. Then Peter goes on to the beach, and there's a fire burning there. The previous time we read of a fire in John's Gospel is in the 18th chapter, where Peter warmed his hands at a fire. It's the same Greek word that is used. So there is a fire that reminds him of his failure. There is a meal which was a very affirming thing to do. Not just a meal shared, but an affirmation made. And then over breakfast, 
there is the potent, powerful silence that takes place because no one says anything. Silence can be powerful. Some of you are looking at me right now, you're going, have you forgot what to say next, you know? No, it's just silence. There's not enough silence in the world today. You, you, you call the doctor and they, they play you computerized ditties. Lest you, lest you have to encounter the uncomfortable nature of silence, which might just give us enough pause to think and even be challenged. And then there are three questions. Do you love me? How many times did Peter deny Jesus? Three times. How many times... Is he invited to affirm his love? Three times. How many times does Jesus reconfirm Peter's calling? Three times. Because you see, and by the way, in Near Eastern culture, if you said something three times, it became legally binding. Jesus is shouting at Peter, you're forgiven. How do you deal with failure? How do I deal with it? We're all failures. The question is not when will you, or, or if you will fail, it's when, in some way. Malcolm Muggeridge has said that failure is the most creative phenomenon of life. It's how we deal with it that can change everything. I heard of a man who many years ago ran for the legislature in a large state and he was badly defeated. He next entered business, he failed, he spent 17 years of his life repaying the debts of a partner who deserted him. Uh, he was in love with a beautiful woman. He was engaged to be married to her. She died. He re-entered politics, ran for Congress, was badly defeated. Uh, he tried to get appointed to the United States Land Office, failed, became a Senate candidate, uh, badly defeated. Two years later, tried again, badly defeated. It was failure, 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 failure. But he kept coming back and he kept trying. And his name was Abraham Lincoln. Because you see, it's not failing, it's what we do with the failure. Sir, ma'am, what is it that inside your head today, it's screaming at you even as I'm speaking and you're thinking, I want to get out of here and go get lunch and forget this. What is that, what is that scar in your history, that stain that shouts at you? And it's interesting that Jesus was asking Peter to say, I love you, because often shame makes us draw back from making that affirmation. And Jesus is inviting Peter in again. What is it that you've failed in? Why don't, you, why don't we bring that failure to breakfast with Jesus and realize it does not have to be the end? But it can be a creative beginning as we face up to the fire and as we look honestly and say with maturity, I was wrong. Fourthly and finally, there's a call here to give God our now. The call to follow Jesus is repeated. Giving God our now, the call to follow Jesus is repeated. Look at verse 20. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper. 
and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? And when Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? And Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? <coughs> you must follow me. <coughs> it's interesting that, well, first of all, there was a day when Peter had walked on water. I, I'd like to have a go at that. You know what, well, that sounds like a whole lot of fun, doesn't it? Uh, have you, uh, I'm, I've never, I didn't say this in any of the other services and I'm going to regret it. <laughs> have you ever been on vacation and you've stood at the side of a swimming pool and you thought, I wonder what it would be like just to, is it just me that does this weird stuff? <laughs> I can tell from your response that truly it is just me. <laughs> Peter had walked on water, fabulous. But now, he's a hundred yards from shore. I've been to that beach. That meant that he would have to swim for a while. Now he has to walk on, in water rather. He has to swim and he has to work his way through the water. The walking on water days were done. This was a different season. Do you look back in your life and remember better days when maybe it was easier to follow God? Will you follow him now? Will you walk in water as well as on it? And then what about those questions you have? Because the disciple whom Jesus loves shows up and interrupts proceedings. And Peter has just heard that he's going to die a martyr's death and he turns to Jesus and he looks at John and he says, what about him? You know what Jesus says? You know, you, you think that Jesus would give Peter a little shoulder massage and say, bless your little heart. Don't you worry yourself. He says, what is that to you? Which being interpreted means, mind your own business. Follow me. You see, Jesus knew the answer to the question, which by the way was that John would probably be the only one of the 12 disciples who would not be martyred. He would die peacefully in his sleep. Jesus knew the answer, but he didn't give it away. The more I grow in faith, the more questions I've got about my faith. And questions are healthy. But you've got to realize that not every question will be answered this side of eternity. And if you gamble your faith on having all of the questions answered, you're going to run out of steam. Keep asking the questions. But be ready for those occasions when you don't get the answer and you just have to follow anyway. Breakfast with Jesus And Peter heard the call, was faithful, died a martyr's death. John lived until about 94 years of age. They threw him in boiling oil and he survived it. Exiled to Patmos where he received the revelation. And finally, most likely in Ephesus, died peacefully in his sleep. But both men breakfasted and both men followed. Let's pray together, shall we? Let's pray. Lord, we want to thank you for this uh, profound story of a breakfast with Jesus. Thank you that Peter and his friends were not rejected in the midst of their failure, both in fishing and in life, but that they were restored and renewed to better days. Be with us, Lord, in these moments. Folks, as we uh, just keep our eyes closed for a moment, I wonder how many of us would like to say today, 
you know, I am not a Christian is what's in your mind. You're, you're thinking, I, I, I don't know this Jesus that you're singing to and talking about. And maybe you've got a thousand questions, not just one. But I want to give you the opportunity if you would like to change from survival to life. If you'd like to invite Christ into your life. Just chatting before this service with a, a new friend who's in this service telling me about his baptism just a couple of weeks ago. The, the battle and the joy of knowing and following Jesus. And right now, why don't you make that choice to become a follower and a friend of Christ? Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's a choice. It's a decision. It's not automatic. So if that's where you're at today and you'd like to make that decision, would you just do something about that right now? If you would like to become a Christian, can I invite you just to slip your hand up for a moment, hold it there, and then put your hand down? Would you do it right now, please? Do it right away. Thank you for your responses. Right where you are, in your own words, invite Christ to step into your life. Ask him to save you, forgive you not about praying a particular prayer it's just about saying I want to know you Jesus come into my life take charge I wonder secondly how many of us if we were honest we would say that the temptation to just do an ordinary life survival that's been our temptation recently not great sin necessarily but just surviving rather than really living we're Christians but we know that Survival has been more attractive and we want to refocus again. If that's true, would you slip your hand up right now if that's true of you where you're at? Many of us are doing that. No one needs to be intimidated or afraid. Father, thank you for your presence with us. For those who are calling on you for the first time, reveal yourself to them today. And for those of us who are potentially seduced by survival, Focus us once more to live for and with you, we pray. And we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Everyone said, if you responded for either.